Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Cloud and Clear. My name is Miles Ward. I'm CTO at SADA, and I have not one guest, but two, and not just me, but a co-host. It's like a menagerie of geeks together today to really try to unpack what's going on in data and analytics and cost management and oh boy the list is long mike where are we going to go today this is a bunch of people we've got to say hi to <laughs> uh, there is so much we should start by introing our guests Fair. here yes let, let let them give a little hello and a shout and a little bit about what they do and who they are and why 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 they're here today why we're here that's yeah. right so let's start with antonio that's right um, yeah, sure. Hi, uh, my name is Antonio. Uh, I'm in. Uh, I'm an engineering manager inside of uh, BigQuery. I'm, uh, I prefer uh, nerd to geek, if I'm being quite honest. Um, you know, I'm, I'm where where do you arrive on dweeb? Oh, I'm like I can, I can be a dweeb sometimes. Like see, there we go. You know, so it just depends on my mood. But yeah, no. Um, you know, I'm happy to happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Well, we, you and I have, uh, have some history. You made horrible, horrible, horrible life choices and, and worked in my organization at one point previously. So, uh, you're, you're, you've, you've got free get out of jail cards and, and various and sundry other privileges, which you may or may not take advantage of today. And Chad, Chad, you've never worked for me. That means you've made better life choices. Maybe, <laughs> maybe you give us a quick howdy. Right on. Uh, my name is Chad. My nouns are nerd, geek, dweeb, and product manager. Ah, very nice. Very good. Very good. Product manager for what? Chad here. Chad and I actually go go way back ourselves. Uh -huh. um, he and I co-presented at a conference in 2016, the morning after the 2016 presidential elections, when for better or for worse, I think everybody was walking around kind of amazed at the outcome. And we tried to keep an audience's attention on rudimentary topics like BigQuery and big data and analytics while everybody was sitting there reading the news and trying to figure out what to do next in their life. I will never forget that day, Chad, but we had a great time. Yeah, yeah, we did. I mean, it also helped that we got our slides done, you know, seven hours before we were supposed to present to however many hundred people. So like, you know, in keeping with the spirit of like the best creativity happens at the last minute. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, for sure. And 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 Miles, like we assume everybody knows you, but you should actually introduce. <laughs> well, I'm 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 a huge fan of rule number one of party planning, which is have not enough space, which can be translated to time in terms of deck planning you just cross that over i am the cto here at sada uh we help people you know use google cloud and its surrounding attendant technologies uh to to operate better i i spent five years at google next to these two weirdos trying to figure out how to how to take this product to market and get customers happy with it so uh i'm i'm mostly excited because i was the guy who made the horrible horrible decision to uh dive in and build the google cloud pricing calculator i'm hoping we can start on costs we live in a extraordinary time my friends of what i believe is called macroeconomic distress uh what what are maybe antonio let's start with you top top ideas suggestions things for folks to take a look at to cut the cost down what's what's a good way to save the easiest and i think the the most straightforward way is to consolidate your compute take advantage of things like uh, Kubernetes, right? Um, one of the things that I actually see, and this is maybe a little bit hyper-specific, um, but it's an interesting paradigm that I see in the cloud world, uh, is the way that people use uh, Kubernetes clusters. So you have a bunch of Kubernetes clusters that are used um, 
you, you have like one cluster for production, one cluster for development, one cluster for staging, right? Uh, and this is way more money than I think that you need to spend, right? If you are able instead to have clusters and give them by location and then collocate all your workloads, your developers should be testing stuff right next to your production workloads, right? Which I think kind of makes people recoil. Ah, rah. Um, but it's, it's what Google does. So Google does this in production. We do it at scale. Uh, and it's one of the ways that we are able to save a lot of money internally. Uh, and it's easily, I think, the number one cost saver. You can save, if you're large enough, we're talking about millions or tens of millions of dollars a year uh, in infrastructure costs. What's the trade-off there, Antonio? Like, why wouldn't, yeah. why wouldn't everybody lead with that? Why, why do people end up segmenting out their clusters? It's because it's Billy's going to do terrible things to your egress rules or to structure control. They're gonna, he's just going to make it so dev is horrible. But wait, dev is prod. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. I think that the, you know, we don't, uh, I think a lot of people don't lead with that advice uh, out the gate because we come from a world where we're sort of evolving, right? That's the whole whole idea of cloud transformation, right? Is that you're changing and evolving thinking that has been in place for 30, 40 years, right? At this point of how you run computing systems on-prem and you've always traditionally had the production cluster, the developer cluster, the hardware that's segmented. Maybe your developer cluster is just a bunch of you know, uh, machines sitting underneath a bunch of people's desks, right? And like that's development cluster for you. So we're used to this world where everything is segmented, but when you sort of homogenize and bring things together, your savings are considerable. Awesome. Well, that's, I for me, we're, you know, we're, we're watching companies try to home down to the gear that's actually efficient. Certainly Kubernetes is one unlock for that. Uh, on the analytics side, we've seen a lot of customers just getting getting off of other ways of doing it and moving into BigQuery. The price performance advantages there are just nuts. Uh, there's still a whole bunch of stuff that is being done analytically in standard relational databases all over the place. And it's just, that's a super, super slick way to operate from 2004 and we recommend against it. <laughs> so yeah, Chad, what, what about you? Yeah, I was actually gonna say, like if we start, like I'll start even like in, you know, cloud agnostic. I definitely have a favorite, but just starting like if you're like the, the number one way I think to save money doing analytics or managing data is like do the digital transform, like get off of the on-prem stuff and, and come to the cloud. Um, I do have a favorite, right? You know, uh, Google cloud. And, you know, once the, once you start looking at Google cloud, not talking so much about app development, which is where, you know, Antonio was kind of, was kind of leading, but thinking about analytics, definitely using managed services is a, you know, a very high level, call it architecture choice to make, but one that's a really smart one, like Google is super good at managing massive distributed software applications. And a lot of times we're a lot better at, you know, folks like Antonio, right, are better at doing this than like most IT departments. So, you know, one big one would be to take advantage of managed services and then getting one more one more level specific. Um, you know, BigQuery is actually a really outstanding uh, product and cost saver. I public like we've published lots of marketing things that say it's cheaper. Like you can go look those up, but I see these results a ton. Like, you know, if not every day, but every week I see it. And in particular, we had one launch not too long ago, um, which is about the BigQuery autoscaler, which allows folks to scale up and down like dedicated reservations of capacity. That one's going to be like, that one's only been GA for uh, a little bit now, but that one's going to be a really impactful tool for folks. So two things, Chad, one, one like that conference that you and I spoke at, 
the genesis of that was a night when I took a query. It was a biomedical related query that used to run on like a 24 core uh, uh, back when Mac had servers, whatever those things were called, X something, X servers, a 24 core X server stack. And it, it ran for about 12 hours. I took that, did a little bit of recoding. And this was BigQuery in the early days. This was even before it had complete SQL compatibility. Midnight in my pajamas on the couch, because nobody could know about this little secret project that we were doing. And I rewrote that thing into legacy BigQuery SQL, ran it, went to get my hot chocolate, came back, you know, 10 minutes later, and, and it was done. This thing that used to take all day to run was done. And that's still true. Turns out like 24 cores today are not actually a lot faster than 24 cores were six or seven years ago, that moving to managed services where you can get a lot more than that capacity to get in, in and solve your problem is huge and has a major bang for the buck. But there are people who are concerned about that. Just before this meeting, I got off the call with the CTO at a company who was specifically saying that he wants to avoid managed services because he's concerned about vendor lock-in, he's concerned about incompatibility. He's thinking five, ten, five, ten years ahead from now, am I going to regret um, building on managed services when I could use open source tools and roll these things myself? Uh, how would you advise a CTO like that to sort of evaluate oh, those risks? There's Ooh, this I, very, I have a comment on that as well. But go, go I ahead. know, we, we, we all want to. The best way to find the middle line between something is actually efficient and operated in a way that reduces my cost and I have freedom and independence is the sweet, wholesome glory of standards, my friend. Standards are the answer. Turns out BigQuery uses this ultra handy thing you may have heard of called standard query language. The SQL system allows you to use that code on all manner of different databases, BigQuery included. So I, I think the critical bit is pushing all of the hyperscale vendors to use as much open source software, standards compliant software, all of the tools so that your interface to the software itself is something that can run in all sorts of places but you make them do the operations and management and the heavy lifting associated with keeping that uh, operating at scale. That's the pattern we're seeing pay the biggest dividends. Yeah, I, um, I, I very strongly agree with that. Um, but I think for me personally, uh, you know, before I joined Google, I used to run a company, right? I used to run a company on AWS and on, on Google Cloud and all of these stuff. Uh, we eventually ended in, and ended up on Google Cloud. And, and my, my argument here is, yeah, open standards are great, but I'm actually not afraid to use a proprietary standard. Uh, I don't think that that's a, that's a deal breaker by any means of it. Uh, and the reason why is I think of the case in which, okay, your, your CTO, I, I don't want to be locked into any vendor platform and I want to like manage it you know, myself and, and I don't want any lock-in. Well, congratulations, you're vendor locked in. You're just vendor locked into yourself and you have to manage your own stack, your own support, your own theming. You can't pick up the phone anymore and just call someone and say like, hey, you know, my XYZ isn't working anymore because that person is the person that's on call. You can't offload that kind of work. So now you have, you're still locked in. You're just locked in in a discernible worse way and you're worse off across the board. Uh, I don't think that the developer effort in like, if you have to switch platforms, you have to switch technologies, build correctly, build abstractly, build in a way that is uh, conducive to be able to switch, right? Without too much trouble and you'll end up just fine. I don't think that that should be a barrier. That's a good answer. I'm, I'm loath to actually continue because I like where <laughs> I'm telling you I left it. Yeah. I will say one thing though, that 
like from a product standpoint, you can, right? You can use all the open source stuff inside of GCP, right? You know, data proc, right? You know, you can write SQL and data proc, you can write Spark over there. So do that. If we actually have big customers that do that for exactly this reason, almost all of them eventually come over to the managed services because they're like, okay, well, I'm, I'm getting treated pretty well over here. And oh yeah, you know, what Antonio said, I've kind of locked into myself, so I'd like to make my teams more efficient. So let me try it. So you know, if you, you know, if you as a customer are listening to this and you're like, okay, I'm really scared of the managed services for the reasons Miles went through, you know, you know, you know, come in and use the open source stuff and then dip the toe in the managed services. And if it wins for you, sweet. And if it doesn't, just keep going the way you're going. Specifics help with this stuff. I think it's easy to talk kind of in the abstract. But the more we can tie it back to individual direct customers who have gone through this decision making, I'm thinking of a customer of ours, Ranker. They know how to operate data. They have a lot of data at their disposal. They are, are a platform designed to help people rank anything they want to rank. So the whole internet is open season. So you can imagine how many possible votes there are. They were built on the open source technologies that you're talking about that runs inside of Dayproc, the Hadoop infrastructure modeled off of Google's MapReduce white paper. That in system worked, right? Same as for my startup, worked. D did the work, distributed across more than one computer, let them build a system that scaled. When they re-ran those queries on BigQuery, it's literally 100 times faster at 1% of the cost. So I don't, I don't know how you... I don't know how you call yourself like locked in, like it's like, you know, you've been given the sweet embrace of incredible performance and that it's a, it's a cozy sensation. So I, I think there's a lot where um, that same product, right? If you think about the work effort for them to take what was a MapReduce query and convert it into SQL and then get that SQL to run, that's just not a, a painful exercise. They did it in a matter of about three days between the different deliberations they wanted to take on to make sure they were doing it efficiently. Their cost to go back is probably the same couple of days. And I, I think that's the kind of switching costs that as a business manager, you can go, okay, it's, it's measured in days. It's not measured in months, right? They're used to ERP migrations and stuff that take a hundred trillion years. That's where the kind of logic around rule avoiding lock-in, I think is, is where they start, you know? I was just going to say, there's some industries that it's not just the switching costs and adjusting your mindset from it used to be months and now it's days. Right. There are some some industries where the regulators are like, no, 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 no. I'm serious about this vendor lock in thing. And so like for some customers, it's just an unavoidable way. If you wanted to get specific there, Miles, actually, I remember uh, one customer that I worked with um, and it's Broadcom. And so their initial deployment was like all data proc um, specific. But, you know, and and by the way, putting your production team on the hook, I just put the link to Broadcom's blog post that describes all this in our internal chat, so you can attach it to the to the to the webinar as a as a uh, a leave behind. But you know, to your point, that's not a pattern we see a lot because the managed services like you know the price performance always always wins out, um, if not for like all of the workloads, a lot of them. So I lead our team of SADA sort of industry experts and, and strategists, and we go deep with customers on the on the work that they're doing. I spend a lot of time in life sciences, and one of the kind of logical fallacies when I was concerned about lock-in is the idea that your cloud provider is something that is going to change before the fundamental tools are that your people want to use regardless of of the of the of, of the of the cloud provider, right? And so, if the idea of of avoiding managed services for fear that you might have to change to something later 
is difficult. Just, just think about how many times in the next two or three years, especially if you're on scientific or engineering services or anything that is dealing with data, big data analytics in big ways, the people on your team, they're going to want to change platforms themselves within your cloud service provider probably three or four times or maybe 10 times before you decide that you know you want to you want to start doing things on another cloud provider as well so there's no particular safety in locking in you know one component when other things are just going to to shift on you as well so i think i think the ideas that have been shared here about abstraction and flexibility and being ready to pivot and and looking you know really at the true short and long term costs all make a ton of sense well, I sure hope Google Cloud Platform's stickier than folks want to transition ten times every two years. But I take your point. That's what I'm saying. Is Google is going to your your platform is going to stay? Other things within there are going to change mm -hmm. as the platform stays. That that may have come out wrong, but that's the that's the idea. The hope is that it can change without any work for customers, right? Like I remember the launch for the capacitor engine inside a BigQuery that was just like, "Oops, check it out." Things faster now. Merry Christmas. That's that's exactly the kind of innovation that I think most of our customers want to see. That just hands off and it gets cheaper, faster, better without without a bunch of exercise. And that you only get through managed services. Yeah. So, look, we're talking about costs. We're talking about performance and the sort of lock-in trade-offs. I think those are critical. But what's next? Like, help me look through the looking glass a little bit. Where where are we trying to get what any kind of stuff on the future of data or data analytics on GCP, Chad? Well, yeah, uh, there there's a lot there. Like, let, let me answer it kind of in two separate ways. You know, we, you know, like you said, we started on money and cost, right? Because that's on everybody's mind these days. Like, you know, it, it's a tough time. You know, layoffs in our industry, people doing cost cutting. So that's why we started with money, everybody, because it's like top of everybody's brain. This time last year, right, it was security, governance, and price performance in that order that were the three big queries. And so now we've seen that one shift for, for obvious reasons. So, um, you know, actually, like I said, like that big query autoscaler is going to help folks manage those costs, which is top of mind. But let's move off like the what's top of Ryan, top of mind right now and think a little bit further down the, loan, uh, down the road. So... Obviously, there's a lot of attention on machine learning, generative AI, large language models. Um, and I'm, I'm no expert on those, so I'll refrain from speaking about those directly. But I did want to point out this one thing that, you know, if you don't have your, like now is a great time, by the way, to kind of get your data analytics house in order. Because if you don't feed those things with the right stuff, like they will not return valuable insights. They'll turn, they'll, in the worst case, they'll return stuff that looks really valuable, but that's actually factually wrong. So, so to be honest, like now is a really good time as folks are like kind of figuring out how to grok all of those different terms and how they might relate in terms of execution. Now is a really good time to take advantage of like, you know, you know, moving your stuff into one place, breaking down data silos, figuring out what your governance should be across the various data assets. So, you know, sorry, Miles, I took your I took your question about what the future is, and I reduced it to like what folks should do now to take best advantage of the future. So, hopefully, you'll permit me a little bit of liberty with your question. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think I think you're exactly right. There's there's certainly places where if you don't have your information ready to be learned from, 
then you're not going to get very astute responses from tools of this type. There certainly are, I think, a lot of places where this kind of thing is coming out now as product rather than something that's you have to sort of assemble on your own. The, mm. the batteries included model is certainly something that as fans of managed service, we're all we're all looking forward to to consuming. I think there's there's going to be a lot where it's the connection points between the automatic generated content and material and code and sample libraries and all the rest of the pieces that these tools are going to be able to con connect to where they're all necessarily going to want to reach back into systems that have the right answer, the system of record that has the correct statistics to be able to back up what you're you know, It's use. funny what you said. <clears throat> so maybe I'll pivot this and then hand it off to Antonio <clears throat> if he likes the pivot, which is one of the big things that we're seeing as things come along now is that, you know, the various, the various products are very mature now, right? BigQuery is more than a decade old, right? That thing works really, really well. You know, data proc, data flow, like, you know, you know, you know, several, several years in general availability in the market. Mm -hmm. What we're seeing now, though, is like a request from customers for better unification and better cross product. Yeah. Call it user journeys, like, you know, product manager. You know, I kind of speak that that's my language. <clears throat> and so like better interrupt, like better, like call it governance and security and deploying policies that span Right. That's where we're seeing a lot of investments and a lot of launches, particularly from Google right now. And so, you know, when you like when you talk about like getting the data analytics warehouse and getting your data analytics shop in order, you know, A, it's making use of those very mature products. And then B, having that interop makes sense. Mm. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think that that makes sense. I, I, I definitely agree with everybody here. You know, um, I think the funny thing about like infrastructure tooling, right? Like if you look at like, data warehousing and and or whatever we call it, data lake or swamp or whatever you want to call it, I, <laughs> it changes every week. I don't know. Um, so, yeah. uh, data body of water. Da yeah, that's exactly right. Data data ocean. It, it's interesting because I think that there's going to be like sort of like this singularity almost, right? Where eventually the capabilities across all of these products are going to sort of unify and offer you mm, about the same thing uh, that, that you would that you would expect right across the board. And I think a lot of uh, what it's going to boil down to, and I'm talking about over the next 10 years, uh, is how do you execute on that data, right? What do you do with it? How do you derive insight? How do you actually make an, uh, an intelligent decision? And so Chad, like you, I, I do spend a lot of time in the AI, right? And, and R&D in, in AI, I spend probably most of my time there, both at work and not at work. It's, it's where I spend a, a lot of time. And I, I will say that like some of these recent advances in LLMs and, and you know, we've seen chat GPT, we saw the BARD announcement, um, which we can use internally, right? We're having fun with, right? Internal at Google um, has really sort of repivoted uh, what I think the future is going to be. And Chad is right, you know, having that data in a, in a unified place, right, and having it governed uh, appropriately is correct. But I think executives, leaders, uh, engineers, everybody should be looking forward to the idea of, okay, how can I take advantage of AI systems? How can I derive understanding, not necessarily to build it into like a feature of your product that you can expose for yourself, but how can I start taking advantage of artificial intelligence in such a way that out of this you know, petabyte, you know, exabyte scale data, whatever it is that you have, how can I derive some common meaning or some common understanding uh, about where I should take my product or what are my users doing? What are the things that I don't know? 
that AI can tell me that I should be looking at. And I think that that's where it really drives forward. Because if you think about the classical uh, sort of data analytics journey, it's, uh, I have a question, I have a thought, I have a guess, here's what I want to know, and you go and you query. But AI has this unique ability to say, hey, by the way, here's what you don't know. Here's what you haven't thought of yet. You should be looking at this because I see this in your data, and that is a game changer, right? So leveraging the technology as it comes along, right? Not saying that Google's going to have anything like that. Maybe we will. Maybe I'm being coy and I can't talk about it. But the idea is, <laughs> the idea is that this is it. Like the the ability to move quickly with artificial intelligence is really going to define, uh, I think, a lot of fields. And I and I say this to, you know, I I do lectures at universities and and I say this to to the students there. Um, you you need to move quick. The world is not about. David versus Goliath anymore. It's about whoever has the fastest car. Uh, because if you don't move quickly and you don't change your industry and you think that you're safe and secure your industry, I promise you, some 17-year-old kid living in his mom's basement in Palo Alto is going to come by and just decimate your industry and completely change everything. So just keep that in mind as you go forward. That's it. That's the end. <laughs> it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a lighthearted framing from our man, my man, Antonio. Uh, it's it, I, I'll, I'll say it a little differently. Like, um, uh, I have a bunch of uh, artist buddies and musician buddies. Maybe you can tell from my background and my background uh, that uh, that you've got a bit there where uh, they're using not stable diffusion, but refusion to be able to auto generate transforms between different styles of music. So you can put in a Rihanna song and say, no, 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 make it country for me. And it tries to make it country. And you sort of take a crack at that. The their experience isn't one of my industry is about to be decimated or nobody's ever going to play pay a guitar player ever again. Uh, instead, it's that now there's this incredibly patient, super, super happy to participate in any hour of the day or night collaborator that's that wants that wants to party, that wants to have a good time and, and encourages their creativity as opposed to feeling like it's something that that consumes time or consumes energy. So I, I'm excited about uh, you know, a, a billion collaborators for all the creators out there that come out of these systems to be able to help people create what's next. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds, it sounds like very much yourself reflecting their miles because you're just a very like... <laughs> <laughs> there, there's stuff to be excited about that I, that I, I don't think... I'm even seeing people talk about my... Daughter just got back from a year and a half of community service in a third world country. So she's thinking right now about how we're making the world a better place. But she's been really in that third world country. So in the last week, we've been talking about like what's been happening in science while she's been gone. And there were there were two topics work, worth mentioning, uh, nuclear fusion energy generation and, and chat GPT and its associated thing, mid journey and, and, and the generative AI. And we were talking about potential ethical implement, uh, implications of these tools. And she said, well, what I like is the idea that maybe somebody who has a really strong artistic bent, but a physical disability could actually now create art in a way that they could not do that before. Damn, right? So yeah. there are corner pockets for these things that actually should be brought forward as prime purposes of, of ways to enable creativity in people who maybe would have been prohibited from doing that before in a wide variety of ways. I think that's fascinating. Enabling creativity, whether it's artistic, musical, uh, visual arts, or to be honest, like enabling human creativity to like solve business problems, right? Which is what we all do for <clears throat> our day jobs. Um, 
to be honest, it's honestly the business that we're all in here as folks that work to create infrastructure and folks that work to help others really adopt it. And honestly, there's one there's one area that we haven't mentioned yet that um, that I think is going to be really, really pivotal. And it's not quite as rosy a picture as something we're talking about, and that's climate change. So, you know, right now, everybody's worried about price performance, right? We kind of covered that. And, you know, climate change and sustainability um, analytics, it has kind of moved down the rung of priorities because everybody's kind of fighting for their financial life right now. However, like nature does not care whether we're in a recession or not, just doesn't give a you know what. And so um, I'll get this, I'll get the, the, the numbers wrong, but I recently saw a stat where the number of billion dollar or more weather catastrophes in the United States between like 1970 and 2000 was like, let's just say it was five. I, I don't know what the number is, but it was something like five. <laughs> and then the number of billion dollar weather catastrophes from like between like 2000 and, and 2022 was like 20, like just four times more. So that comes from two things. Like one, we're building more infrastructure, so there's more stuff on the ground to do damage, but also there's all these weather events are getting a lot stronger. And so, you know, Antonio, kind of what you were talking about, where, you know, where AI can say, you know, hey, you know, human person, you need to look out for this. Like one of the problem areas we need to train that AI on to look is like around climate change and what can we do and how to, you know, um, anyway, that's that's a topic that I think oh, we should spend a minute on it. It's a, it's it's, a fantastic it's, topic. Absolutely. It's absolutely crucial. Like I'm I'm in the other window. I have to be, I, you know, by by any stretch of the imagination, at the request of Googlers, I'm, I might add, in New York in April. And the user interface that shows it to me does tell me how many dollars it costs, but it also tells me how many tons of CO2 that travel costs, and I can sort by CO2 instead mm -hmm. of by dollars. So like that's like one tiny step of which there are thousands that have to be implemented, not just in the sort of the, you know, the pure analytical space, what's going to happen, projections and prediction models and the rest. But how do I put control back into buyers and users and participants in our systems so that they can select the kind of lowest carbon footprint option in a given context. I think it's going to be a change that happens in lots more systems than just air travel. Yeah, I think we're going yeah. to have to figure out uh, the other part is is getting a lot of that weather information uh, in in large scale environments and making it available. Right? It's not it's not easy if you run your own on prem system to work on twenty five petabytes worth of weather information. Weather information is very very large and very voluminous when you start looking at historical information. So if people want to develop and build their own things, I think this is where, you know, big systems uh, like this and uh, public data sets, right, with weather information. That's a plug, by the way. I do work on public data sets at, at Google. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we're bringing in a, a lot of weather information uh, into, into our public data sets as well. We're making it a big focus into 2023, um, specifically sustainability. So we're working with various government agencies around the world um, to, to do that. And I think that that's important, right? It's difficult, I think, for individuals companies to do that piecemeal one point you have this massive amount of data duplication you know petabytes here petabytes there petabytes there uh, when you can centralize access and, and get good access to quality high quality data to make a difference it's kind of an intersection of a bunch of things we we're talking about but let me throw out a plug to the creative folks who are listening to this 
there is a massive entrepreneurial opportunity here, right? Because in entrepreneur business schools, folks talk about disruptive change. Right on. So governments are trying to figure out what disruptive change they're going to make. Like, what are all the reporting compliance rules? Like, what are we going to have to do? Like, governments are still trying to figure this out. Folks like Antonio and me, we're creating infrastructure, right? Miles and Michael, you guys are helping folks do this. But there's this massive gap in the middle, which is government comes out with new regulation X, and then companies have to scramble their butts off to figure out how to meet that. And they really don't know when those solutions are going to be out there. So you know, I think this is a very ripe area for innovation, disruptions, startups, et cetera. Is there a problem that we're creating, though? So we've got so, so Antonio's over there in public data sets, like amassing all of this data. Chad in, in, in data analytics product management is creating these tools to analyze that. We're going to run AI training models on this stuff. Thousands and thousands of people all day, all night. That compute is hot. It is energy consuming. It eats rare materials out of the ground, right? How, how do we uh, address uh, the concerns I, about the problems that we're creating as we're trying to solve the problems? I, I have the answer to this, my good friend, and it comes from a just a gangster, an actual cloud gangster named Joe Cava. Joe Cava stayed up late and got up early and wrote this contract called a power purchase agreement. So if you know your Google and you can see this future and anticipate that you're going to use an incredible amount of electricity to be able to solve these kinds of problems, you're going to do everything you can to try and make it so that that power footprint is environmentally sound. In fact, because you know your demand in advance by a huge margin, right? You can pencil it out on a graph as Google grows. You can commit to that consumption in advance. That's exactly what Joe did, and in doing so, made it so that green power in the United States is incredibly inexpensive. Right now, building a new solar array is the lowest cost per kilowatt power type in the country, which was just not the case like five, six years ago at all. A lot of that stood on the back of being ready to use Google's enormous fiscal environment to be able to direct the build out of those kinds of systems. And other companies are following suit. They participate in the same PPA structures, use their purchasing power to help motivate the development of this kind of green energy. The result for Google, first party, is that they're operating in a carbon neutral way. So if you're doing this in a bare metal data center someplace on your own and you aren't part of a PPA agreement and you don't know, have any idea where the power for your data center comes from, moving to Google is an efficient way to make a difference. Uh, but, I, but I also think that the big central systems are invariably going to do a better job of operating more efficiently to begin with. Some of these things just are more efficient at size. So there's a number called power utilization efficiency, the PUE number on your data center. If yours has like a number after the decimal that's not a zero, uh, then then something's gone terribly wrong and you probably want to look around at a cloud provider. I, I've got an idea, but I bet it's an idea that others have already had. So it's like that. It's like, so, so a bunch of us are musicians. It's when you wake up in the morning and you're singing a song to yourself and you're like, dang it, I think somebody else already wrote that. I'm going to say it anyway. Miles, you were talking about booking a flight and being able to see on there, here's the carbon footprint. Chad, in data analytics, there's already great tools in there that say, hey, um, uh, when you run this query, it's going to take this long. It's going to process this much data. There's already great tools in Google that say, hey, you're maybe running a virtual machine here that you could shut down half the time and save some money. 
can we get a carbon footprint into, into indicator on things like AI learning compute jobs, mm. and then let people make smart choices that are not just around how fast can I get it, but how can I make sure that I'm making that I'm not making a negative impact in my goal to make the world a better place? Yeah, couple couple things to say here. A, we've started doing stuff like that. Like right now, if you're choosing a big query region, you can pick the one with the lowest carbon footprint. Like we actually calculate that and show that to you. So already have the, the idea. Okay. <laughs> well, props to the team that that launched that. You know, like there's more yeah. that they can yeah. do with it. Um, so, and Miles, you were talking about PUE, like tagging the production team a little bit here. I just put the article that describes Google's PUE ethos and results into the chat here. So that'll be available to folks watching it. Um, it's, it's, it's pretty impressive how efficient Google in particular, their, their, data, centers, uh, their data centers are. <clears throat> then the last one I'm going to say to you, Michael, to your original question is like, so how do you answer this? Like, hey, I want to do a lot of analytics work to figure out how to combat climate change, but that in turn is going to use a lot of energy. I'm going to say, go for it right? Your results are going to be worth the effort. And here's why. Um, there was recently a New York Times article about something called green hydrogen. And this is folks, uh, BP and a company in Australia called Fortescue Metals, who are building massive solar and wind arrays in the outback in Australia to create electricity to break water into hydrogen and oxygen, to then use hydrogen as fuel for the vehicles that are running around doing mining or locomotives and whatnot. So you know what, let's do that and we'll figure out how to generate cheap electricity in the places where it's gonna be consumed. Um, so anyway, without being a climate scientist, I'm just gonna say like, we will, like, you know, as humans, we'll figure out how to make that energy and make it clean now that it's a priority. Your, your guess yeah. is that there's gonna be a climate ROI right, on, on the cost of doing the analytics to get the advances in the science that we need to solve the problem. And I think, I think today is the worst time that you could possibly do it, right? Like every day, if you're going forward, it's going to get easier and easier and cheaper and cheaper and greener and greener as the whole industry orients itself around this problem. And it's not just industry, right? Governments are doing it too. So the Inflation Reduction Act has you know, it says on paper that it's 200 billion in incentives. A bunch of analysts have done the math and they think it's probably more like $800 billion in incentives uh, over the course of just the next several years to help with green tech and technical analysis and energy efficiency and power efficiency and heat pumps and every other conceivable tech. We think there's going to be a bloom of startups working specifically on those problems. And, you know, where better to do that than on Google Cloud, where, you know, the footprint's already being uh, being operated in an efficient way. So I, I'm really excited about our part in kind of helping push those little new startups, fiery, feisty folks that are trying to help uh, stem the tide of this thing, maybe slightly fewer storms and slightly more successes on the, on the commerce side, too. Looking forward to it. Yeah, it's been an interesting journey all the way through um, in, in terms of, of how Google ourselves right, deals with sustainability. Um, you know, it's one of those things that I think is, is difficult to sort of explain just how important it is to, to Googlers as a whole, right, and to Google as a company uh, working towards sustainability. It's something that is pretty much in everybody's mind, right, as we go through and we build um, infrastructure, as we build tooling, as we build our products. Like, how do we make it? Uh, so that sustainability is as uh, front and center. How are we making this so we're not wasting CPU cycles? Not just the monetary aspect of it, but 
the better bettering of our our environment, right? I, you know, a lot of us here, we have children. I have a child. I don't want my child to grow up, you know, with a gas mask, you know, going out in in having smog days or whatever it is, right? That that we have to face, right? Or climate days. Um, and this is something that we take very seriously, I think, as a company. I think a lot of people do. I don't think that's just like a, a Google thing. Um, but when we build our products and we work towards these goals, we do it for the betterment of humanity. That's right. That's right. I think. Uh, what do you say? I, uh, yeah, exactly. Plus one. The uh, so I I appreciate everybody's input on on all these subjects from from cost control through technical efficiency into all of the work around sustainability. Of course, there's so much more. <laughs> we'll have to we're, we're going to have to have a series of these things because clearly we've all got a, a lot to look at. Uh, if we're going to go back to the back to the future and and talk again about cost savings, maybe one your favorite free resource or asset or tool that folks can take away from this, uh, from this conversation. Uh, I, I'll go with Mike, you go first. I am such a huge fan of Google Colab, uh, particularly coming from a scientific computing background. Uh, if you're familiar with uh, Jupyter, Jupyter Lab workbooks for, um, for doing, for getting in and doing team uh, science on data. Colab is an amazing way to dip your toe in for no money at all with Google Workspace like shareability and ease of use. And once you get in there and you get addicted to how lovely and exciting and easy it is to use, and you realize that you need a lot more GPUs and a lot more things to power that, there are ways to kind of move on to, to, uh, to paid tiers. But I would recommend anybody in scientific commute, computing, anybody using notebooks, uh, go check out uh, uh, collab.research.google.com. Uh, uh, collab Pass it to Chad. I got, uh, I got two freebies for you. Um, one of them is that BigQuery has a pretty generous free tier. So if you want to like dip your toe in the waters of like the beating heart of most folks, at least on Google's um, data architectures, like BigQuery is it. Um, there's a free tier for storage. There's a feature for compute, so you can get into it. Um, and then the other one that I wanted to mention is uh, Looker Studio. So the Viz tool that's often tied to BigQuery, that's actually solid free, right? Just, there's no free, it's not a free tier like this much, it's just free. So uh, those would be my two. Antonio? I actually use Looker Studio free at home for all of my budgeting. So I build my budget, my personal budgeting dashboards, and it's driven by Google Sheets. Uh, so I'm able to like, I have my, my import, my costs and all of that stuff. And it's really That's good. another good one right there. Yeah, Google Sheets, sheets like all Sheets and, and Word and all that. But um, I, th I think my, my favorite, uh, uh, again, uh, um, self self lifting. Here. Do the plug. Come it on, is, we know you're going to do it. Do it. It's the public data sets, right? We're talking oh. about. Well, yeah, we're all raising Tell millions. me more. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's no, but it, it's it's millions and millions of dollars a month at, at list price storage, right? For this public data that is 100% free, at no cost for you to to. You don't have to store it. Uh, you can use the free tier that Chad mentioned, right, with with BigQuery, um, to to start querying and start using this data, including a lot of the sustainability, right, data that we have there. Uh, we're working very closely with uh, NOAA, right, the the government agency. We work closely with NIH uh, with a lot of data. Um, you know, we we have very close ties with a lot of people in the data community uh, in order to to give out this this information for free, so that people can can make a difference. And like I said, in in 2023. This 
this year where uh, I'm looking to double or triple the number of, of, of bytes uh, in well into multiple petabytes of free data that's available for people to use um, so that you can do things that you just can't do elsewhere um, and, and really make it uh, drive home the point that, you, like, yes, this is free. You can actually do this, and it's there for you right now. I support what, what Antonio just said, but BigQuery will execute a query over a petabyte of data you know, as, as easily as it will over a gigabyte. So when you start playing with free stuff, like, be a little careful because like, if, if, you're, if you point it at a table that's really huge, it'll just crunch through it and send you a bill. So again, ping in the uh, production team here, there's a, set, there's a way to enable custom cost controls inside of BigQuery, and I've dropped the link here so you can see it. Please, if you're experimenting, please put those on. Yes, <laughs> because we, yeah, because we do see these things where somebody gets this like, yeah, a discomforting bill <laughs> after having experimented. So go put those on and then like knock yourself out. So I, I run the uh, uh, the Google Cloud subreddit, right? So reddit.com slash r slash Google Cloud. And without fail, uh, at the first of the month, uh, every month when we send out our bills, right, uh, we get a couple of postings at least a couple of times saying, ah, I've got a huge bill because of a runaway query or whatever else. We offer the controls for people to do that. We document it. We try to warn people, um, and you know, sometimes people just, you know, I just they get so excited they want to click through. And but if you're hearing this, please, please, please heed Chad's warning, and and so it's in the description below, down there, up there, wherever yeah. it is on the side, please, uh, please do this. I think my favorite Google Cloud product, and frankly, it's a product for every one of the clouds, and. Yeah, basically almost anything you want to learn about YouTube, it, that's a killer one. <laughs> totally free. Uh, education for every one of the Google products and every other thing in between. Uh, incredible resource. If you have to be right down, it's cloud shell is just too good. You just you just type, the answers come out. I really appreciate everybody's input. Today's convo was, was a fun one for me. Uh, I know that there's a lot more for folks to check out, but uh, we're going to have to leave you for today because you've been listening to us wax philosophical for a while. Thank you, Antonio. Thank you, Chad, for bringing your insight and wisdom. Uh, looking forward to our next conversation. Should be fun. It was Thank you. Pleasure. Thank you so much for having us. Right on. Cheers, Jens. Thank you for listening to Cloud and Clear. Check the show notes for links to this week's topics. And don't forget to connect with us on Twitter at Cloud and Clear and our website, sada.com. Be sure to rate and review the show on your favorite podcast app.